Jonah 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd like to invite Pastor Pat to come up today. Good morning, Crossbridge family. Let me begin by posing this question to us all. Have you ever tried to hide a mistake, hoping it somehow would resolve on its own? Now, you see, much like a child who breaks a precious family heirloom, perhaps a porcelain vase, and very carefully attempting to bury those pieces, sweeping it under a rug, the weight of guilt the fear of discovery. It grips the heart and refuses to let go. But the moment of reckoning always comes. The child's anxiety peaks when the parent announces, hmm, where did that vase go? Please join me in looking for it. We'll go room to room together. It's that impending scrutiny that prompts the child to step forward, his face wet with tears and remorse, confessing to that mistake. In this, we witness a universal human struggle to hide or to confess, to run or to return. We spot this human experience in today's reading, in the heart of the book of Jonah, the bustling streets of Nineveh, that great city teemed with life, ambition, and the common human foible of avoidance and evasion. Yet an announcement was on the horizon, a proclamation of reckoning. And it wasn't just any proclamation. 
Just as we read, it was a cry, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yes, it's a prophecy of doom. But if you listen closely, you'll hear a whisper of hope. It was God's mercy wrapped in a warning. God's compassion revealed by a call to repent. Just as a child with a broken vase faced a choice, so did the Ninevites. And here it is our focus today that every human heart, when confronted with its own wrongdoing, faces the decision to either deny and hide or confess and turn. Crossbridge, it's a decision that we face every day in every whispered falsehood, in every unkind deed, in every instance that we wander off of God's path. We stand at a crossroad. But the story of Nineveh, as with the child and that vase, isn't merely about the wrong act. It's about second chances. It's about the power of genuine repentance and the boundless mercy of a loving God. So, in a moment, as we dive into the narrative of Jonah and Nineveh, I hope that what you will see, that it is embracing second chances and exhibiting genuine repentance that unlocks that joy of celebrating divine mercy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, may our hearts be attuned to your voice. May the Holy Spirit guide us as we reflect, respond, and rejoice. And may we find life through Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. In the heart of the Old Testament, of course, we have this story about a man named Jonah, a man who, like many of us, wrestled with God's will and with his own desires. And so let me take you on this journey into the bustling streets of Nineveh, a city that once stood tall and proud. Its vastness was echoing, echoing a great city as described in the scriptures. This wasn't just any city. It was a marvel in the ancient world. Yet, with all of its architectural grandeur and cultural significance, Nineveh needed something more profound. It needed that divine touch of grace. Reading again from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The narrative unfolds with Jonah receiving a second chance from God. Having once fled God's mandate, Jonah is reminded that God's purpose cannot thwarted. The city of Nineveh in all its splendor was profoundly lost. 
And so the prophet Jonah, armed with God's message and a heart transformed by grace, walks a day's time into the city proclaiming, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. These words echoing throughout the streets were not merely a warning. They were a plea for them to repent. Forty days here signifies a period of testing, a window of grace, if you will. Throughout the scriptures, the number 40 often marks moments of crisis, reflection, repentance, and transformation. Now, those of you that know me well uh, know that I don't read Chinese, and um, please excuse the formatting that you see on the slide behind us, but uh, I, I, I want to point out this Chinese character. It's, it's one of the words that is translated as crisis, and it's got these two characters there, uh, Wei and Ji, and Wei uh, can be translated as danger and Ji as opportunity. Now, I present this to you because this verse 4, uh, Jonah's message, embodies this. It's this looming danger is the city's impending overthrow, a divine judgment. And yet, within that threat is that G, a, an opportunity. The 40 days aren't just a countdown to doom, okay? But it's a grace period for their repentance. Nineveh faced a pivotal moment, imminent destruction or potential re redemption. This duality of way and G reminds us that even in dire situations, there's always a window for transformation, a chance to seek God's mercy. Now, how often do we find ourselves in the same shoes as the Ninevites? immersed in our own grandeur, our own ambitions, yet spiritually lost. We need a touch of the divine in our lives, do we not? And isn't it intriguing that even amidst impending judgment, there lies a tone of hope and, repent and redemption? God's mercy shines brightly. It's awaiting our return. It's much like that prodigal son's father with his arms wide open. And when he sees his son return, his eyes begin to fill with tears of joy. Today, our modern cities, like the cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, they echo this vastness that we read about the city of Nineveh. Yet it's not in their skylines that make them significant, but it's the stories of redemption within their city limits. The echoing footsteps of Jonah remind us that in every corner of these cities, there's a heart that is yearning for a touch of the divine, of grace, a whisper of hope. However, let's not just limit ourselves to the cities, but think about your schools, your workplaces, your homes. There are Ninevehs everywhere. 
They're in the eyes of that young man who is struggling with his identity or that single mother who is struggling the needs of their family or that couple that is struggling to bring life back to a fading marriage. These are stories, and these are the souls that matter to God. And just like Jonah, we are called to reach out, to echo God's message of hope and redemption. Yet, the essence of this tale isn't merely about a city or a prophet. It's about second chances. It's about embracing that transformative power of repentance and obedience. Remember, Crossbridge, obedience to God isn't some burdensome yoke, though it can feel that way at times, but it's a liberating discipline. It aligns our desires with God's and our purposes with His narrative. In our obedience, we find true freedom. Freedom from the shackles of sin. Freedom to dance to the rhythm of His grace. So as we stand at the beginning of a new week, another chapter in our stories, let's take a moment to reflect. Are we running away as Jonah once did? Or are we headed towards our Ninevehs, our places of calling, with a heart ready to obey? Let's embrace our second chances, for in them lies the promise of transformation, a transformation that not only changes us, but changes the world around us. Remember, Christ our ultimate example was the epitome of obedience, even unto death. As followers of Christ, we are called to walk in these footsteps. When we exemplify Christ's obedience, we become, do we not, that beacon of light in a world that is filled with darkness. So will we rise like Jonah did? and passionately pursue the path that God has set him on and has set before us. For in our obedience, we not only find our true selves, but we also witness the unfolding of God's majestic plan. Verse 5 from the New Living Translation. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least... They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. You see, in the sprawling city of Nineveh, a powerful, unparalleled transformation took place, as if a great wind has swept through the city, through its streets, touching the hearts of every man, woman, and child. The inhabitants of this ancient city, upon hearing Jonah's warning, they didn't dilly-dally, and they didn't make excuses. They believed God. Now, let's just pause for a moment and ponder the weight of those two words, believed God. It wasn't a mere nod of acknowledgement that sometimes we have in our lives. We say, yes, yes, um, or a fleeting emotional response that 
be our hearts being pricked and, and, and that moment of conviction that fades so quickly. No, it, no, this belief was a profound, life-altering conviction, much like a seed that finds itself into fertile ground, ready to grow and transform. How often do we in our modern age hear the Word of God and respond with that immediacy and depth? Let's read again that response of Nineveh in verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on what? A heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city, no one, not even my animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all, nothing. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. And note here, they must turn, turn from their evil ways, and they must stop all their violence. And here's the surprising piece. Who can tell? Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. All right, Crossbridge family, let's unpack this together and see what we can learn about belief turning into fear and why the Ninevites responded the way they did to Jonah's message. So the question is, how did the Ninevites come to believe in God when they weren't given any hope of salvation. We didn't hear that hope directly in verse 4. And yet, you see, faith usually comes when we know about God's loving kindness. If we think God is angry with us, despair usually sets in. And Jonah didn't exactly give the Ninevites a pep talk about God's mercy. So it seems like he just scared them into believing. I mean, isn't that what we're left to conclude? Is that the whole story here, that he scared them? Well, here's the thing. When we talk about the Ninevites believing God, we're not saying they had perfect faith. It's like when the apostle says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Noah, through faith, feared. Noah's fear came from his faith, but it wasn't the whole picture of his faith. Noah also acted on other beliefs when he built the ark as a means of deliverance. So when we say the Ninevites believed God, we're talking about a part of faith. They knew they deserved punishment, but they were also seeking a pardon. They got more from Jonah's words than just fear. If they only felt guilty and saw punishment coming, they would have been crippled and paralyzed by that fear and would not have thought about seeking forgiveness. But here's the key. They did seek forgiveness. Don't we see it? They humbled themselves before God, which means they must have had some hope of grace. They weren't just feeling guilty. They also had some understanding of that grace, even though they knew they were worthy of death, they did not lose hope. They prayed. 
So Jonah's preaching did more than just make them feel guilty. It also gave them a glimpse of God's grace. So as we reflect on this, let's think about our own response to God's message and how we can find hope in His grace even when we face the consequences of of our actions. Let's go get deeper into the text and look closely at verse 8 and 9. Jonah 3.8 says of people and animals, turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. This isn't a mere change of routine or or a simple pivot. To turn and to stop is to make a complete about-face, a deep-seated transformation. Consider, for instance, a person who is addicted to technology is constantly scrolling. You know, we, we know how that works on TikTok. And because of that, they're never present in the moment. Now, imagine if upon hearing that message that, that Jonah was giving, they set their devices aside, and they began to engage in the world, and they began to truly connect with those around them. As amazed as we would be with that, seeing that today here, that was the degree and the magnitude to which we saw the change in Nineveh. You see, in the next verse, we see the opportunity inferred in Jonah's message Jonah 9, verse 9 says of God, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back. The shift of authorial intent here between verses 1 to 4 and verses 5 to 9 is obvious. Whereas the first section heralds a, a second chance for Jonah and of the impending doom for Nineveh, verses 5 to 9 is a testimony to the transformative power of repentance. You see, the parallelism between uh, 7 and 8 is striking. It's emphasizing the totality of the city's response. The The king decrees both man and beast must fast and wear sackcloth. This was no half hearted measure. It was an all-in, no-stone-left-unturned response. This tale of Nineveh finds echoes in the New Testament, bridging the chasm of time and pointing us to that internal importance of repentance. Jesus' very words in Luke chapter 13, 3 underscores this. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The immediacy and authenticity of Nineveh's response foreshadows the transformative power of repentance Jesus would come to bring. Now let's dive into the heart of repentance and confession. Jonah 3.8 speaks of sackcloth, this coarse, uncomfortable fabric symbolizing both mourning and penance. Donning Wearing this sackcloth was an external representation of an inward reality. A heart burdened with sin and eager for redemption. 
The rapid and all-encompassing response of the Ninevites from the highest echelons of power to the lowliest citizens is a testimony to God's overwhelming grace, beckoning us toward salvation. But how do we, swayed by the currents of this 21st century, model genuine repentance? How do we do it? How do we prepare ourselves for true confession? Firstly, we must undertake self-examination, diving deep into the recesses of our hearts, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to shine a light on our wrongdoings. Secondly, we must feel a genuine sorrow, recognizing the impact of our wrongdoings, our sins, and a longing, a desire for God's mercy. And finally, with renewed determination and God's grace, we resolve, we make plans not to sin again, we lay strategies to sidestep temptation, and we fortify our relationship with God. Crossbridge, as we reflect upon the Ninevites, let's not see them as mere characters in an ancient story, but as mirrors that reflect our own hearts and potential. Just as they were, we too are called to exemplify Christ's example. What are the benefits? Of course, we begin with a transformed life, a heart at peace, and a relationship with God that's both intimate and dynamic. By embracing this virtue of repentance, not only do we prepare ourselves for God's eternal kingdom, but we also sow seeds of righteousness here and now, impacting our communities and leaving an enduring legacy. Let's not dismiss what we learn from the story of Nineveh. But let's recognize it as a vibrant call to action. Let's acknowledge our wrongs with immediacy and sincerity and seek God's mercy. And let's march forward, hand in hand, toward a brighter, more righteous tomorrow. You see, in the tapestry of Scripture, if I can describe it as a tapestry, it's a history of God's saving work. Jonah chapter 3 stands out. It's like this bright thread that's woven throughout this tapestry or the creation of a focus and interest. It is monumental, not merely as a chapter, but as a testament to this transformative power of repentance and the boundless mercy of God. When we read in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would, bring, he would do to them, and he did not do it. We are led into this sublime revelation of God's hope and divine compassion. What's striking here is this phrase, God saw what they did. It's a poignant reminder that our actions and not just our words matter to God. In today's digital age, when we put appearance over substance, when a facade often covers reality, 
God looks beyond our social profile, social media profiles, and he peers deep into our souls. What does he see? He sees not just the public displays of faith, but attends the private moments of genuine spiritual transformation. Now, what we notice in verse 10 is this dramatic shift in tone. If verses 5 to 9 were this dark, somber cloud of impending doom, then verse 10 is this radiant dawn of hope. The author uses this brilliant antithesis, contrasting the, the might of Nineveh's repentance with God's monumental mercy. Drawing from the New Testament, this story foreshadows the teachings of Jesus. Just as Nineveh was spared through repentance, Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That's Luke 5.32. The city of Nineveh and the sinful women of Luke chapter 7 who washed Jesus' feet with their tears both echo this same truth. Where there is sincere repentance, there is divine mercy. Now let's talk about Jonah, this relatable, reluctant prophet. His journey packed with resistance and eventual submission, reflects our own spiritual path. How often do we, in our hubris, think we know better than God? Yet in Jonah's story, we find hope when he does the same. If a man who once fled from God, from his call, can become this catalyst for the great city's redemption, imagine the potential within each of us. What lessons then does Jonah verse 10 hold for us today? If you have eyes to see, you will recognize the compassion Jonah and the divine mercy of God. In a world marked by fleeting trends and superficiality, this verse reminds us that sincere and transformative repentance can indeed change the trajectory of divine judgment. In a few minutes from now, we're going to be invited to prepare, to prepare and approach our Lord's table. It is fitting that we take a moment then to reflect upon our own lives. Have you been like Nineveh, ensnared in actions that you regret? Or perhaps you identify with Jonah, struggling with reluctance. Remember, the same God who witnessed Nineveh's transformation is watching us right now, right here. He yearns for our return, awaiting our genuine repentance. He longs for your confession, waiting to show you mercy. So let us be inspired by God's example in Christ as the embodiment of God's mercy. He invites you to bear your cross of, in your life, your cross of sin, guilt, and shame. If you will approach Jesus seated on his throne of grace, you will find forgiveness with your confession, mercy 
for your sins. Young and old, let's spur one another on, lifted up by the hope found in God's boundless compassion. When we stumble, as we inevitably will, let's remember Nineveh and repent as they did, completely and sincerely, assured by the knowledge of his divine mercy. Now, to my fellow followers of Christ, from the restless youth to the humbled elders, let's celebrate divine mercy. Let's embrace it. Let's seek it. And then let's extend it. For in the row or the dance of repentance and mercy, we find our truest selves and catch a glimpse of God's heart for us. So let Crossbridge, Crossbridge be reminded of this. Let's be reminded of God's boundless compassion and hope and hear his call to trust in his mercy. No sin is greater than the sacrifice Christ has made for our atonement. Approach God with humility and contrition. Let us extend forgiveness and mercy to one another reflecting that hope and love found in God's mercy. The story of Jonah isn't some ancient story that we can forget. It's our story. It serves as a beacon to the path back to a watchful father. Let's walk that path together. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, as we heed your call to trust in your mercy,